You are listening to the EdTech Takeout from Grantwood AEA, an educational service agency that supports school districts in eastern Iowa with a focus on equity, excellence, and efficiency in education for all children. Welcome to episode 20 of the EdTech Takeout, the podcast that serves up bite-sized technology tips for teachers. My name is Jonathan Wiley. I'm a digital learning consultant with Grantwood AEA, and I'm joined today by my colleague and co-host, Mindy Corney. Hello, we're back. We're back for 2017, Mindy. Yeah, 2017. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Mindy. I guess I've seen you, but Happy New Year to all of our listeners. I know. Um, Did you you make any New Year resolutions, Mindy? Did I make? No, you know, I'm pretty good the way I am. So, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you're going with? Yeah, I'm going with that. Uh, No, I didn't really make any New Year's resolutions. That's not really my thing. I don't really do that. And there's just like failure and disappointment and self-loathing. I try and stay away from New Year's resolutions. What about you? You know, I'm kind of the same way. I, I don't do New Year's resolutions. I do New Year goals. Oh. Because I feel like, like you. I mean, you said it already that if you say this is my resolution for the year and then like three weeks in, you've stopped doing it, you're like, oh, oh, well, I'll try again next year. But if you set a goal... <laughs> Yeah. It's like a target. You're always working towards a goal and right. you don't not meet your goal until the year is done. And then there you go. So I, I set some goals yeah. and I'm going to share a couple with you just oh, because please. some of them are pertinent to the podcast. Well, I think they are anyway. <laughs> um, one of my goals was to listen to more podcasts. Oh my, really? Don't you listen to a lot of podcasts already? Well, yeah, here's the problem. The problem is I listen to quite a lot of podcasts, but I listen to the same podcasts all the time. I feel like I need to freshen up my repertoire, my little list of podcasts I go to and maybe learn some new things for some new people. So I'm going to try and branch out a bit. Oh, good for you. So have you started listening to anything new? I have, yes. And I thought I would take the... I'm going to take take a liberty on the show here and maybe share one of my new podcasts every episode. How about that? Oh, oh. <laughs> the new feature of Jonathan Wiley's podcast. You bet. You, do you want to hear one now or should I oh, save no. it to the no, end no. of the show? Oh, no, whenever you planned originally to, to share is fine with me. I, this is good. I like this little add-on. You know, I'll, I'll do it now just because oh. we're talking about it. And maybe okay. in future episodes, I'll throw it down with the tech nuggets or something like that. I listened to episode one of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast with Matt Miller and Casey Bell. Uh-huh. How was that? Did you like it? I I did like it. Yeah, they yeah. just started a new podcast. Um, so you'll know Casey Bell of Shake Up yep. Learning. Yep. And Matt Miller from the Ditch That Textbook Yes. Yep. Those guys have teamed up and they're doing a podcast all about Google Apps for Education, different ways that teachers can use um, Google Apps in their classrooms. So it's called the Google Teacher Tribe Podcast. Oh, I'll have to add that to my playlist for sure. You should take a listen to that one, Mindy. I think you'll like it. (laughs) I will for sure. Okay. So what other goals you got? Yeah. I also resolved to try and uh, use my iPad a little bit more this year. I feel Ooh. like I went through a phase where, you know, I just got stuck on my Mac or my Windows computers and yeah. I hadn't used the iPad as much. And I yeah. maybe maybe I got iPad fatigue or something, but I want to get back in and use my iPad more and discover more iPad apps and do stuff. Cause I, yeah, I feel like that too sometimes with my iPad. It's like I don't. Because I'm not in the classroom anymore, I don't use it as much because I'm not using it with students like I used to. And so 
all my good apps are really good, but I'm like, gosh, I wonder what else is out there that I'm totally missing just because I'm not, you know, not doing that as much. So there's some good stuff out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I use my iPad every day. I mean, I check my email and stuff on it and in the morning and I, you know, I read things on there, but I don't really go out searching for apps as much as I used to or yeah. keeping an eye out for that stuff. So I am going to make it my goal this year to get back on the iPad bandwagon and uh, see what I can do. Hmm, that's a good one. Hey, do you remember um, last year, I, just since we're on this goals topic, do you remember when Beth um, brought in your one word for the year? Do you remember when we talked about that? Yes. And how you're, um, you should instead choose a word for the year that you try and like of all your life around. So like last year when I had started at Grant Wood, my word was absorb and how that was going to be my word. I was just going to kind of take it all in and figure out what was going on. So that mm. makes me think maybe I need to come up with a word for the year. I liked that idea. Mm-hmm. Maybe that could be our homework for next time. Yeah. Maybe I'll, uh, that'll be my, our follow up for next year or for next time around. I'll think about it. My word for last year was mindfulness. Oh, I wanted to try and be present and in the moment when things were happening. And I feel like in this fast paced technology world and the job that we live, it's easy right. just to gloss over stuff. And yeah, Mindy, I know I've not been good at that recently <laughs> because I actually, I actually rolled my eyes when you said mindfulness. It's like, really? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Not being present in the moment <laughs> because Mindy present. will start talking to me and then she'll realize that I'm not paying a blind bit of interest to her and I'm yeah. looking at something on my screen. And Yeah, I have to say Jonathan and wait for your eye contact before I continue. It's like having a five-year-old. It's fine. Maybe I'll just roll over my word of the year and make that an ongoing goal. <laughs> Maybe, yes. Yeah. All right, so our hot topic for today is thinking about whether or not we still need a desktop operating system. Do we really need that now and in the future? And this is a very interesting question. Well, yeah, this is uh, based off an article I, I read just by chance one day. It's called Stop Using a Laptop in 2017. It's time to use a tablet. And that's one of the reasons when I was talking about my goals that I was, it kind of inspired me a little bit to get back in and use the iPad more often. And uh, one of the arguments this guy had was that we don't really need a desktop operating system anymore. And then by that, I mean, we don't really, most people don't really need Windows or they don't need Mac OS Because a lot of the stuff we do is just online these days or on our phones or in apps and other places. So I was wondering, I mean, I think that's an interesting topic of conversation for schools when they're thinking about devices. Yeah. I mean, think about the things you're doing with your kids. Do they really need a desktop operating system or could they use a Chromebook or an iPad or something that doesn't have a traditional desktop operating system? What do you think of that, Mindy? Well, this brings up, um, interesting because, you know, like a month ago, I spilled a huge cup of coffee on my Mac computer. And yes, that was a sad day. Oh, I still can't think about it without like, I don't know. Anyway, so I went without my Mac for, oh, like a month, right? And I, but I um, used a Chromebook instead, which was actually a really good learning experience for me because I had used a Chromebook before and didn't really like it. Um, but I don't, what kind of Chromebook did I use? It was an Acer R11, I believe. I'm glad that you can just spit that out, like right off the top of your head. Anyway, so the screen though is a touch screen, which I loved. 
Um, and I really loved that Chromebook, first of all, because I loved how light it was and I towed it around in my backpack like no big deal. Like I was a boss for like a month uh, without having 20 pounds on my back. But um, I loved that. I loved that I could flip it to make it a tablet or have the keyboard right there. Um, the only thing that I really missed during that time was having QuickTime. That's the only thing I missed. Everything else was, yeah. Why did you miss QuickTime? Because I make a lot of screen recordings. Oh, I see. Yeah. But you could have used something like Screencastify. I know I could have, but I am really familiar. You know how hard it is to like, once you have a tool that you love, and I really do love QuickTime. Um, that was the only thing I missed. Um, otherwise, yeah, everything I have is online. Like they even asked me, oh, do you have your computer backed up? I'm like, what on my computer would I have backed up? Like everything's in my drive, which is what's so great about Google because yeah. everything's yeah. in the cloud and I didn't lose a thing, maybe a couple pictures, but they were like screenshots, no big deal. Um, yeah, so I really feel like in my life I could let go of my computer and not and not miss it too much. I'd be okay. Well, well, here's a question for you then, Mindy. You yes. went on a Chromebook for a month. Yeah. Well, could you survive on an iPad for a month? Um, I could survive on an iPad if I had a keyboard too. Yeah. I hate typing on the iPad, and I think it's just a generational thing. I don't think kids, it probably bothers them as much. I guess I don't know. Um, like my young students never bothered them at all. You know, they didn't miss having a keyboard. But me, because I grew up that way, I would totally miss a keyboard, but I would just have to purchase one. You know, it's just an accessory. So mm -hmm. I think I could survive. Yeah, and I'm, I asked myself that question as well after I read that article, Stop Using a Laptop, It's Time to Use a Tablet. Yeah. And I'm going to try and do that next week, Mindy. <gasps> I think we should both try. Ooh, can I do it next week? I'm thinking about what I have on my schedule. <laughs> I looked at my calendar next week and I thought, are there anything? I mean, there's going to be times where it's not possible because of the job we do. If a teacher says, hey, can you come and show me how these Chrome extensions work? And I'm like, yeah. well, yeah, I can't show you on my iPad, but right. I looked at what I'm doing next week. And I think that I am going to be able to do that as far yeah. as possible just to only use my iPad and see what that's like. Because, I mean, the other thing I was thinking about is we've got a number of like one-to-one -one schools with iPads. And yeah. we have students that do that all the time. And yet, what do the teachers use? Well, the teachers are invariably using laptops. Yeah. They might have an iPad as well, but they will do most of their work on a laptop. So maybe we should walk in some of these students' shoes and see what it's like and have some observations of pros and cons and what worked and what didn't work so well. Yeah, because I toss back and forth between the two, just whatever device works best for whatever I'm doing. Yeah, so that would too. be my hardest thing is just like powering through something that I know it would be easier to use a different device for. Exactly, yeah. Because I, I mean, I in one one day I will be on Mac, I'll be on Windows, I'll be on iPad, I'll be I'll be on multiple different devices. So it would be very different just to be on one device the whole time. Yeah. Um, but I found this on uh, online too. In 2014, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, says he does 80% of the work of running the world's most valuable company on an iPad. Oh, that's crazy. 80% of the work he does to run Apple is done on an iPad. That is, huh. that makes you think, doesn't it? If yeah, you can it does. run a company of that size and that value with an iPad. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need a stand for my iPad then. <laughs> Okay. I have a stand. I have a keyboard. <laughs> yeah. The other day you came over to my desk and yes. you're like, wow, that font is so big. Yeah. I, well, I even tried plugging my iPad into a monitor, like, yeah. like a desk, so I could see a bigger screen. Yeah. 
because I only I have the nine point seven iPad Pro that you have too, which is a great iPad, but the screen size is something I would have to adjust to. Yeah. So maybe report back on that on the next episode and see how that goes. I think that could be an interesting uh, experiment. I do too. I get a little nervous when I think about it. It makes me a little nervous. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I kind of am willing to accept that challenge. I just need to look at my calendar to see if I can make it happen next week. Well, I know you were kind of an iPad person too. You used I to am, teach yeah. with iPads in your yeah. classroom. So, you know, yeah. it's not a, yeah. a big deal, but yeah. Challenge accepted. All right. If anybody else is interested um, in, in taking up that challenge, we'll put a link to the show notes on this. But conveniently, and inside of Flipboard this week, I saw another article that said the gear you need to make your iPad your oh. only computer. Yeah. So we'll link to that in the show notes. And it does talk about things like um, a keyboard or an extra battery pack as a charger. But basically saying yeah. that an iPad's really capable these days. Yeah. And uh, I tell you, I'll give you a short preview of what I thought it was like when I tried it a little bit on Friday, uh, Thursday afternoon this week. And that was that it's a lot more focused because you're only in that one app at a time. Yeah. Like normally you're in Chrome or Firefox and you've got all these tabs open and you're switching between your email and your calendar and all the rest. But if you're in a Google Doc on the iPad, you're in a Google Doc and that's oh, it. Oh, yeah, no, that just made me a little nervous because my tabs are sometimes my to-do list. Well, you can do the split screen. You can yes. swipe, slide okay. over and yep. do a split okay. screen as well and have things on the side and make that a to-do list. But uh, right, no. Yep, let's do this. All right, let's do it and we'll report back next week and... See who chickens out first. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Up next, serve to you piping hot. The main course today is our top trends for 2017. The look fors. What are we looking for? It's going to be big this year. Yeah, I think there's lots of fun stuff out there and, um, we just took some time to think about things that would be pertinent to the the teachers we're working with or things here at the agency that are really coming on and be worth keeping an eye out for. So I don't know. Do you want to start with this, Mindy, and pick well, one off the list here? Yeah. So, um, I mean, what's super hot right now in the Grant Wood area is virtual reality because we have um, – Three Google Expeditions kits that we have um, started to just started to kind of rotate through um, some of our school districts that have requested them, and it's just it's huge. People are super excited about it. Um, it allows students to kind of see different places and go different places and um, just you know get creative too. Teachers are getting creative in how they're using it in you know different topics. I think it obviously lends itself to science and social studies, um, but. You know, math teachers are wanting to take a look at it. ELA teachers are using it for writing prompts. And um, it's just kind of an exciting thing. And I think we don't really know where it's headed, you know. Um, And that's what's Mm -hmm. so exciting about it is, like, you just don't know where this is going to go yet. Yeah, and Google Expeditions, if you've not seen it or tried it before, it's a collection of uh, virtual reality field trips where um, you can view them inside a mobile device. Now, the ones we've got are in some uh, VR headsets. We put a phone into the VR headset. It's an Android phone, and it runs the Expeditions app, and uh, the teacher can lead students through one of these virtual uh, field trips 
and it's it's a pretty amazing thing but also works on ipads and ios devices too so you don't even need the vr expeditions kit if you don't want to you can do these on on ipads but uh it's not quite as immersive an experience but yeah you're right we are seeing a whole bunch of interest in in vr yeah and i think what's cool about i mean you know props to our agency of of course for purchasing something like that for our teachers because i I do feel like it's not something you obviously would use every single day in your classroom. So it's kind of a nice way to either introduce a topic or, um, you know, even conclude a project or something like that. Uh, But I think the big thing, like you had mentioned, that teachers' eyes really open up when you're like, well, you can just do this on any device, you know, your devices that you have. So if you have iPads in your classroom, you don't have to have the Viewmasters. Yeah, you don't get to strap them to your face, but um, you can use them and have the kids walk through the experience with you, you know, tomorrow. And I think Mm -hmm. that's always super exciting for them. So um, if you haven't looked at Google Expeditions, it's, you know, it's one app. It's nice because the teacher app is the same as the student app is. And as a teacher, you can walk the students through a field trip or you can just let them kind of explore themselves a little bit. And there's a ton of expeditions out there. I mean, they just added like 50 more or something like that. I mean, it's just tons of tons of content out there for you to take a look at. Yeah, I was reading um, an article from a British newspaper, uh, the Daily Telegraph, and it was called How Our School is Using Virtual Reality to Prepare Pupils for a Future Dominated by Technology. One of the interesting things I I thought in that was the author, uh, Graham Laurie, Um, he referred to it as artificial reality. And I don't know if that's like a term that they're using in the UK right now instead of virtual reality or artificial reality, if that could involve like augmented reality and yeah, virtual right. reality. Yeah. I think yeah. maybe an interesting term maybe going yeah. forward. But right. yeah, he, he says we're moving away from uh, from learning, from simply learning a topic to feeling the content. And it's not simply an engagement tool or a gimmick. It allows students to explore and experience and be involved and, and all this as if they were actually there. And that's a really hard thing to try and recreate with a textbook. I mean, oh, yeah. it's probably impossible. impossible with a textbook. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you get some of the way there with like websites and videos, but right. VR is just, yeah, much more immersive. And I feel like it's, it's a young technology, but it's going to mm-hmm. get so much better. Yeah. And it's pretty good right now as it is. I mean, it, that's why it just like blows my mind when I think about it. Um, the other things that I think are cool about Google expeditions and it kind of made, made me think of this when you were talking about that article was that, um, there are also in Google Expeditions um, college tours and um, oh, like yeah. job shadowing, you know. Yeah. So it's not just about field trips, but the job shadowing thing really was interesting to me because I thought, oh, wow, you know, it's kind of a different way. To, I mean, I, I feel like we've kind of lost some of those programs. I had this discussion with a couple of teachers. And we're like, yeah, we don't do that anymore. Don't you remember like when you used to go out and you're like a practicum student in high school and you'd follow somebody sure. around for a day? Um, I feel like we maybe have gotten away from that a little bit, but so it kind of brings the experience back just a little bit, not the same, of course, but yeah, just there's some other options out there too. So, yeah. And I don't think virtual reality should necessarily replace any of these experiences, but you know, it's going to be hard to take your kids to the Grand Canyon unless you live pretty close to, you know, the Grand Canyon. But you know, if you can take them there via virtual reality, then awesome. It's a great way to involve kids in the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what do you think? What's your what's your next one on the list? You know, the one I've um, been spending a bit of time looking at recently is online learning. Yeah. And um, it's partly because, you know, when we started this podcast, it was it was in part created 
to give the teachers we work with another way to get professional development on their own time. Because one of the things we're finding it harder to do is um, when we put on workshops and classes here at Grant Wood for teachers to come and learn new things and see ways to use technology in the classroom, it's increasingly hard for teachers to get release time to come out to these and to find subs to cover their classes and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, we started the podcast as as one way to try and address that issue. And another way we're starting to do this is with hybrid and online PD classes. And um, they give you the chance to to do that learning asynchronously and they can do it on their own time. So I did a, a Twitter class that for, for teachers here and they did we met for one hour, like face to face. And it was just, uh, okay, this is how you log into Canvas. This is what the class is going to look like. Do you have any questions? And we went over some of the content and then it was, all right, I'll see you later. And I may not see you face to face again for the rest Mm -hmm. of the class. And they worked through the content and they turned in their assignments and and it worked that way. And I'm, I'm doing another one of those pretty soon next week. And it's going to be on iPads, which is something I originally thought would be harder to do online, but no reason why not. I don't think it's. I think it's going to work pretty well. Got a lot of people signed up for it, and uh, it's becoming impre- increasingly popular. Yeah, it just takes a, a little bit more planning, I think, because you need to plan. You know, by the hour or even by the fifteen minutes, or you know. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I mean, on the teacher end, it takes a little bit more, but the student outcome to it is much more productive and um, allows them to have a little bit more choice in what they're doing too, and that's great. Yeah, and I can see maybe sometime down the line that at least maybe at the high school level, we're going to maybe see more of this too. Yeah, I, I couldn't mean, agree more. And yep. at college degree levels, uh, it's probably already happening. Right. Um, I mean, I'm doing a completely 100% online master's degree right now. I've never seen any of my instructors face-to-face except over a video call. But, you know, giving kids the chance to, you know, we'll talk about more about personalizing learning and stuff like that and, and learning things your own way and in your own time and in your own space and place, then online learning could be a, could be a vehicle for that too. Yeah. I think we really are going to see a lot more of it, especially, um, I, I, especially, I guess I'm thinking like with our, when we're talking about the open ed resources and things like that are going open, that there's going to be so much more online content anyway for teachers that they don't have to create themselves, that it's going to, start to lend itself a little bit more to that. So um, that'll be interesting to see how um, those two kind of go together and if it changes a little bit about what's happening in especially those high school classrooms. So, Yeah, I was talking to Amber about this a little bit and, you know, she said, yeah, she's out for this as well. But the thing that um, she's a little concerned about sometimes is, is the community that you get and build yes, up from being right. face-to-face and building relationships. And you can do that in online classes, but it takes an, an extra bit of skill or an extra bit of effort to to try and build that community and have those relationships with people when you're not actually seeing them and talking to them face-to-face or in real time. So, yeah. um, but it can be done. Yeah, I think I hopped in on the end of that conversation. It's like, yeah, like when I take online courses, like I totally breeze through everything and I just try and get it done. That's my personality. Yeah. 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 So people work in different ways and yeah, maybe the absolutely. people that come to our face-to-face workshops are like, yeah, I could do this. Just let me do it. And, yeah, let you me know, get it and then done. there's other people yeah. that are like, slow down. I, I yes, need to take right. more time. And yeah. it, it accommodates all those people. Yes, absolutely. I hear you. All right. So I would say the next big thing that we have seen a ton as our team is um, makerspaces. We were super busy in 2016 running makerspaces 
um, kind of tours and um, taking makerspaces uh, out to schools and people were coming in. And um, I really think in 2017, we're going to see just makerspaces blow up all over the place because right now everybody's kind of planning and talking to their students, figuring out what they want in their makerspace. And I think this next year is when we're really going to see it blow wide open. Yeah, we were doing we were doing maker spaces this morning. Yeah, it was super fun. Yeah, we were at um, Wilson Middle School here in Cedar Rapids and had sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. Right? Did we cover all the bases while we were there? We did. Yeah. Yeah, and oh, they were so fun and so excited. We had the little bits there. We had um, dash. We had Spiros. We did stop motion. We did green screen. Um, they get, oh, makey makey. I was working on the makey makey, trying to become an expert on that. Um, and snap circuits, which, uh, actually Wilson had themselves, but super fun to sit and watch those kids and big smiles on their faces when they figure something out. And I don't know how many times I heard them be like, Oh, that is so cool. It's just fun to hear that age of kids get excited about something. Cause I yeah. think in your head, you just envision what their reaction is going to be. And it was so much better. It was, it was just great. They were awesome kids and it was fun to see them kind of explore and figure things out and talk to each other and, um, mm-hmm. problem solve. So yeah, I think that was one of the things I liked about it. We didn't we didn't hardly structure it too much. We just started the day with saying, here's what this is, this is what it does, and let them explore and experiment and and go with it. And having that kind of open format, I think, really uh lent to the the success of, of that event. And um you're right, that just looking at the kids and seeing their engagement and the smiles on their faces and the problem solving and things that was going through their heads as they were working out this new stuff that they'd never even tried before was uh, was was exciting to see. Yeah, and I mean, how many kids did you hear thank us as they were leaving? I mean, 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, you, I'm, yeah. maybe I'm just being down on that age, kids, but thank you <laughs> for coming, you know, come, thank you for coming in today. I mean, it was just super sweet. I just loved it. I bless yeah. those kids. That was awesome. Yeah. All right, so moving on, um, I think another interesting topic for for us right now is um, learning spaces. And um, our team recently looked at um, the kind of things our schools were doing with changing learning spaces. We, we'd heard about little stories here and there and different people doing different things. So we said, you know what, we're just going to take a day and we're going to go around and we're going to visit all these schools and we're going to see all the innovative learning spaces and things that people are doing. And we saw some great stuff, didn't we, Mindy? Yeah, we did. Um, I, I think one of the things that really stuck out for me is kind of like these community like learning areas that, um, you know, I started to see, which I think was maybe like an 80s trend where there were like pods of classrooms, you know, and they're all based around this one area in the middle that's become, you know, was one learning space. And um, I remember like kind of, I think it was like a practicum student and there was a school that I was in that did that. And I thought, this is super cool. And one of the reasons they got away from it was because like at that time they had like retractable walls and things like that, you know, that the sound was always so bad, but um, I think we're kind of seeing that trend pop up a little bit again. And then in those community spaces, really having a lot more flexible seating and wide open spaces and natural light and ability for kids to plug in whenever they needed to, you know, and um, it's just, it's really neat, bright colors. And I mean, it's just, it's different and it gives that building such a different feel, you know, and I think the kids walk around with smiles on their faces. It was just a really exciting experience to kind of see how that changes the environment for learning. 
one of the things I learned in the the book from Dr. Bob Dylan, and I forget the other author, but the book's called The Space, was that you know our learning spaces as we know them were kind of designed for teachers and not really for students. And the students are the ones that are learning. So maybe we should spend more time thinking about what a learning space is like for a learner instead of what a learning space is like for a teacher. Yeah. And, you know, I hear teachers sometimes say, but it's so expensive. Like we have to buy this furniture and those and furniture is super expensive. I totally get that. But yeah, I think some of it is just like switching your brain a little bit and just like letting kids sit on the floor if they want to sit on the floor or like go out into the hallway if they want to go out into the hallway or if they like, I don't know, there's probably some like OSHA thing against this, but I let my kids take their shoes off like while we were learning. Like they always got super excited. Oh, we're going to take our shoes off for the next hour and do math. And I think it is just about letting kids choose what makes them comfortable and where they can, who they, I mean, sometimes I know it's hard to let kids choose who they sit by, but you know, finding a spot next to someone that they work really well with. or And I think it's sometimes just a brain switch, not so much about buying things for your classroom as it is. Yeah. It's just saying, hey, you guys choose. As long as it's not a problem, I'm going to make it work for you. Um, and, you know, I think some of it too, and that's, I'm glad that you brought up this um, that book that's The Space, because I think some of it even that they talked about was just finding like, Lots of places for kids to write, you know, like finding new ways to create a whiteboard or like my kids always wrote on their tables with whiteboard markers. And then we just wiped it off with a Lysol wipe at the end of the day um, and just kind of letting them be a little bit more free in the classroom like you would like to be, you know, be able to move around a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I think that's um very valid and uh, something like I said we're, we're seeing a lot of with the schools here that are looking at this as, as a way to engage their kids so we will likely see lots of that in 2017 alright so um, the last two things we have on our list I mean we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about them because we have some amazing guests coming up to talk about these uh, very shortly so on the next episode of the EdTech Ticket we are proud and pleased to say that we have the amazing Josh Allen mm -hmm. coming on to the podcast and uh, he's going to help us talk a, bit, a little bit around open educational resources uh, which you'll also see referred to as OER mm -hmm. and you know that's the movement towards replacing textbooks with digital materials and uh, resources that are free and open for all teachers to access. And it's a real huge movement that's got some federal government backing behind it. We've talked to people like Christina Peters about it in the past. I think we mentioned that on a previous yeah. podcast. But I think, um, yep. I think it's going to be a big trend in 2017. Um, there's a conference coming up in uh, Council Bluffs, Iowa, that where Josh works. And he's going to talk about that and uh, look out because it's it's coming. Yeah, I'm excited because I'm st it's still a little foggy to me. So I'm going to be I'm excited to talk to Josh about it. Such a good guy. And then the last one is blended learning. And our very own Beth Swantz is going to be in uh, to talk to us about blended learning. It's a really big initiative here at um, Grantwood AEA. And um, she does a great job of kind of working with districts. And so we're going to pull her in and ask her about her work and um, hopefully give you some ideas of how you could maybe get started with blended learning in your classroom. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we're trying to stress about it, and Beth will probably talk more about this, is for us at Grantwood here, it's not a technology initiative. It's a teaching initiative. Right. 
we're not concentrating on the technology here in blended learning. The technology is part of it, but the rest of it is revolving around, you know, you as the teacher having more time with your students and personalizing that learning and giving more student choice and, and all the good stuff that goes with that. So, um, yeah, Beth has got an amazing knowledge and bank of resources in that. And we are excited to hear what she has to share with us on that. And she's such a great guest. Oh, she is an amazing guest. Yeah. <laughs> no, she is. You listened to that Christmas podcast one. She did that little bit on the Rocketbook notebook, and that was awesome. Yes. I texted her while I was listening to it. I'm like, oh, you're so, I just love you on the podcast. You need to come on more often. So I'm glad she's going to be back. All right, so that's a roundup of all our uh, EdTech trends for 2017. Time will tell if we are correct in our predictions or not, but if you have ideas on what you think will be a hot topic in 2017, feel free to email us, podcast at gwaea.org, or find us on Twitter and send us your messages. Now on to my favorite part of the show, which is tech nuggets. I'm going first. Okay, Mindy, go for it. Okay, so um, my first tech nugget isn't necessarily about technology so much as it is about teaching, and it's called a pineapple chart. And I'll link this to the show notes because there's this article about pineapple charts. And uh, it talks a little bit about how teachers are so over the sit and get PD and how they always feel like it's such a waste of their time. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the best way to get t PD is to actually see it in action. So the pineapple apparently is like this symbol of hospitality. And so it's used in this chart as like a sign of welcoming one another into our um, classrooms. And so that's why it's called a pineapple chart, I guess. So um, what it is, is it's a chart that goes like up in the staff room or whatever. And if you're doing something that you really want to share with others, you, um, so it's just a chart for the week, I guess I should say that. And so um, if you want to share what, something that you're doing in the classroom, like you'll put that up on the chart, like with your name and then what you'd like people to observe. And so then Teachers who might have an extra couple minutes or whatever can go and look at the chart and be like, oh, I kind of want to sit in here today. So they can still go into the like the back of your classroom and like check their email or correct papers, but they're still there kind of multitasking, maybe doing some of their work, but at the same time kind of observing uh, what that teacher is doing. And so it's a really great way to kind of get that quick, fast PD because teachers are tired of the sit and get. Like they feel like it's a waste of their time. So this is a great way to kind of see something in action and see something. I mean, then your expert's right next door to you. So you can go and ask them questions later or um, find out why they think that strategy is successful. And so, you know, your person's right there to talk to. So I thought this was kind of a really great idea. Um, actually, the person who shared it said that it was kind of slow getting going in her um, building, but when the principal started giving out candy bars to people who went to observe, oh, like, yeah, yeah the, you know, the participation went way up. And sometimes you need that little gimmick. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you need that little gimmick. But um, now that it's kind of taken off, people are really excited about it and really excited to share, but also really excited to learn. So, um, like I said, I'll link the article into the show notes, but I just thought that was a really, like, it's kind of a quick win, you know, like it is, something yeah. that you could, you could start, you know, in a couple of weeks after you've done a little bit of planning. So, And I will absolutely admit that um, some of the best things I've learned have been from watching other people. And yeah. I know not everybody likes to be watched, so people feel like they're being observed or judged in some way. But I know when I was a young teacher growing up that 
part of my probationary year was like to go in and see other people teach and yeah. and learn from them. And I think it was always great to do that because we get in our bubble and we think these are my four walls and we don't think mm-hmm. outside of those four walls. And right. so, yeah, you learn so much new things from those types of things. And I will still happily go and see you guys like present to iTech and other places as well, because I always learn a lot from you, from you guys too, and seeing what you do. Oh, you're always loitering outside the door. It's weird. Learning outside the door. Oh, learn. Right. No, that's what I meant. Yeah. What did I say? Oh, loitering. Yeah, no. no, I meant learning. I did. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so I'm going to do my tech nugget and I'm in the spirit of using the iPad more this year. I I'm happy to tell you about the Toontastic 3D app, which is a fantastic new version of Toontastic. Um, so Google bought Toontastic, I don't know when, maybe 18 months, two years ago now. And right. uh, they made it all free for teachers. All that in-app purchases and everything was free, and it was great. Uh, but they have rebooted it in this 3D version. Um, if you remember the old Toontastic, it was kind of like, cardboard cutouts moving across the screen it was very 2d and so google have um relaunched it they've got new characters in here new backdrops new scenery and they've made it 3d so that your characters look more lifelike on the screen and it's much more of a cartoony feel that you might see on tv and things like that so Mm -hmm. very nice it keeps a lot of the things that i really liked about the last one like the story arc that it had with like a beginning a middle and an end so like if you are working with young kids, you know, it's got just a three-part story, beginning, middle, and end. And then mm. if you're working with older kids, it's got like a five-part story that's got like you know, a resolution and a conflict and all these other types of vocabulary, but like five different parts of the story. And it. So is that like a level that you choose when you first get started or because, you know, like the original Toontastic always had the conflict, the climax, you know, those parts in it. So when you go into it, can you choose the three-part story and the five-part story, or can you just delete them out like you used to be able to? Yeah, you can choose it. So when you when you load it up the first time, I'm just looking at it here on my iPad, you yeah. hit the plus sign, and you've got the choice of doing a short story, which is three parts, a classic story, which is five parts. And what's kind of interesting, and I think this is you know Google's influence on here, there's a science report which has also got five parts. And then the science report, you go from question to hypothesis to experiment to results and then conclusion. Oh, Amber's going to like that. Isn't that clever? The way yeah. they're just putting that digital storytelling into other yes. cross-curricular areas as well. So, um, yeah, that's really nice. It's got lots of interesting themes and topics and ideas on there. It's very easy to do. My five-year-old can do it. So all of your kids can do it as well, I'm sure. So they kind of brought back that Toon Tube that used to be part of Toontastic when it was paid. Correct. That's what it yeah. kind of sounds like. And I think people really missed that when they took that away. But you can still export it, right, like to your camera roll and stuff. Yep, you can export it to your camera roll. Yeah. Go straight to your photo library and then you can put it on YouTube or in Google Drive or wherever else you want to put it. Hmm. I think we should try and make one of the two of us and see if we can make it into a gift somehow. We could make it as part of our iPad challenge for next week. Okay, let's try that. And then I, well, yeah, okay, I've got ideas. So my next tech nugget is actually uh, Northwestern University's Night Lab, and it has four tech nuggets. It's a quartet of nuggets um, within it. So interestingly enough, um, and I get this question a lot, is how to create a timeline and how students can create these timelines. I got that question today. You did? Did you share this? Yeah. I did share that one, yeah. 
Good. So um, it's timeline, and I guess you add the JS to it, right? So timeline JS, um, and it allows you to, and this is what I think is really interesting about it because I find spreadsheets so intriguing, and that's the truth, um, is that you create a timeline by using a Google spreadsheet template, and you add the media into, like the media that you want to add to your timeline. So you add the dates in, you add descriptions in, and then like if you want to add, um, you know, images or whatever, you add those all into the spreadsheet. And mm-hmm. from the spreadsheet, they create the timeline. Mind blown. That blows my mind. So the website, TimelineJS, they they create the website? Is that the name of the website, TimelineJS? Yes, yes. Did I say that right? So okay. they create the, yeah, so they create the timeline for you from... From the data in your spreadsheet. Yes. Okay. Mind blown. Okay, so then there's also Juxtapose, which um, this one is kind of interesting. I'm still trying to figure out how you would use it in your classroom because you take two photos and they have to be images that you upload Um and so the way they show it is that it's like a before and after picture. So I guess you could you could use it like for art or something. Like if you did like um, if you're creating some sort of clay vase or something and then you could take a before picture and then after you glaze it in the kiln, you could put that one right next to it. So then what happens, so you have these two pictures, you put them side by side. And then um, the website creates this slider. So you can slide over top of... Um, the old picture and the new picture will show the difference, right? So it kind of transitions it into the after picture. It's kind of hard to explain. You know, that would also be good for if you're doing like a like a local a local history unit. Yes. And then you take you have some historical pictures of your town yeah. from like fifty or a hundred years ago and yeah. you digitize and upload one of those and you put take the same picture from today yes. mm-hmm. and then you compare them contrast the two as well. Yeah, because we talked about like a drone getting a workout with something like this. Like, oh, this is a really good way to use your drone if it's got a camera on it is to go and take pictures. So that's another good one because we were, yeah, Mm -hmm. so it does. When I first saw it, I was like, oh, how would you use this? But yeah, those are some good ideas. So that's kind of fun. It also has story map, which I don't know much about, but it's about mapping a story, obviously, on a map. Yes. Okay. So... Um, check that one out. And then SoundSight was the one I was really trying to look at. And it's so it allows you to add um, like sound bites, like from SoundCloud to and linking it to like text. So if you're doing like, let's say a music review or something like that, and you're talking about um, the baseline in this. So you could take the baseline um, and link it to the text in your music review so they can click on it and then sound, hear what the baseline sounds like. Interesting. Uh, that sounds like a completely unique tool. There are not I many know, of those on, right? on the web, are there? Yeah. So I thought those were kind of four um, just different tools that maybe like somebody out there would be like, oh, my gosh, this is something that would totally make this project just totally turn it on a dime. So I thought those were kind of neat. And I'll link that in. It's U- Northwestern University's Night Lab. Um, and, yeah, so check for that in our show notes if you're interested in those four tools. Those four are all free. They're all free. Yes. Yeah. You just have to create an account. Do you know what else is also free, Mindy? I bet you're going to tell me, Wiley. My last tech nugget pick is ReadWorks, or Ooh, yeah. I should be a little more specific and say it's ReadWorks Digital, which is a, a really nice uh, website for 
trying to improve comprehension skills. And it's something I just came across recently the other day. I think it's very useful for teachers. It's got a lot of digital texts online, and you can assign these digital texts to your students. So you create a class for your kids, and so you can assign the text either to the whole class or you can assign a text to specific students. And um, it's got text-to-speech functionality built in for some of these um, texts, so you can have them read aloud for kids that, that need that accommodation. Mm-hmm. Each text comes with five comprehension questions that you can uh, assign to students. And so there's a reading the article, they can answer questions to check for their comprehension and understanding. And all that data gets saved back to um, a teacher dashboard for uh, the teacher to look at themselves. So Mm. it's research-based, it is 100% free. And Mm. I can see that this would be a really popular thing for ELA teachers, definitely for elementary teachers, or Mm -hmm. anybody that wants to, you know, do some remedial work around comprehension. Uh, You can search for text based on topic. You can search by grade level. You can search by Lexile level. You can even search by, you know, a common core standard. So this is a really kind of powerful thing. I think they're they're working on making it as good as they can make it. And they have a lot of uh, support from teachers who are enjoying using this tool. Yeah, and it says, I was just looking to see, because sometimes it doesn't go like those articles might not go down to like first grade, but it says K through 12 teachers, so... Yeah, there are. I mean, when you get to the when you get to the kindergarten level ones, I mean, they almost all have audio attached so that it will yeah. read it aloud. The the thing that's a little bit different for kindergarten level is that when they do the comprehension questions, you know, they're not going to be able to really read the comprehension questions all that right. well. So right. there's a little disclaimer at the top that says, you know, you might want to do this in small groups or whole sure. class, but What's nice about some of those is that the answers are more picture-based. So it's like, you know, which one of these people featured most in the story? And it will show you like four pictures of people, like a policeman and a firefighter or whatever else. And they can pick their answers that way too. So I I like those accommodations for younger kids too. Yeah, that's great. I like that. Take a look at that one. It's called ReadWorks Digital. So if you enjoy the EdTech Take Up, we would love it if you shared it with others on social media, with colleagues who are looking for new ways to learn about using technology in the classroom or anybody else you think might be interested. We have links on how to listen and subscribe on any device on our website, dlgwaa.org forward slash podcast. I want to say a quick thank you to Stories Told in SF for their awesome iTunes review, Mindy. They gave us a five-star review and said, this is hands down my favorite podcast, a must-subscribe. Oh, thanks. That's that's really nice of you. We appreciate that. Yeah, we definitely do. I mean, we, we always appreciate iTunes reviews and enjoy reading them when we see them. So don't feel shy if you are interested in doing the same thing. And we'll give you a shout out on the podcast too. Absolutely. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. I am at Jonathan Wiley and Mindy is at Team Carney. Our team account is at DLGWAY. You can use the hashtag EdTechTO to tag the show or send us an email to podcast at GWAEA.org. So, till next time. This has been the EdTech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot. For more information on today's episode, please visit dlgwaea.org slash podcast.